0: I'm Harlan Landis. Today on Adulting, Miranda Marquette and I talk about people. Not specific people, but dealing with people in general. There's little you can do as an adult to avoid people, so this episode will help you get along and thrive in your interpersonal relationships. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I'm Harlan, and I'm here with Miranda. Hi. Hi. So we are going to talk today about... People, uh, you need them in your life, so deal with them. We do have to deal with people all the time in all aspects of our lives, and sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes we love it, but either way, it's something that we have to kind of live with. Working with people, you have to uh, you have to understand a little bit about people's interactions. One, there, there, there was one study um, about rudeness uh, that I think we can start off by talking about. Uh,
1: yeah, this is an interesting study from the University of Florida and they and it was it was recently published in the Journal of Applied Psychology. And what they did was they tracked some business school graduate students over a course of seven weeks and they paired them with different people over the course of the seven weeks so they had different partners throughout and they found that those who rated their partner as rude as as rude were far more likely to be judged as rude later on in the study so different partner if, if they thought their own partner was rude later on their new partners would think they themselves were rude so it was kind of this interesting idea that, that rudeness in the workplace is kind of contagious, and creates this toxic environment. According to one of the the studies' lead authors, he said anything from simple insults to ignoring a coworker to purposely disincluding someone or withholding information can create a toxic environment.
0: So, so you're saying that rudeness can pass along from one person to another, even if they don't particularly realize that. Anyone's being rude in the first place. I mean, the person on the receiving end will will rate that initial person, to, you know, their their initial partner as being rude, but then they don't realize that they are then uh, taking on that that trait and and pushing the whole the whole thing forward.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the things I found most interesting about it was just this idea of when you're dealing with people, you kind of imbibe some of that. Uh, Feeling that they have to you, and then you pass it on. So, being aware of that, I think, is very important in your own interactions with people, and then monitoring yourself and saying, Oh, am I treating other people the same way I've been treated, but didn't like being treated? It's kind of going back to the golden rule, right? what
0: is the effect of the toxic environment that this creates and i i don't think that was covered by the study but you know maybe we've seen some toxic environments in our own lives that you know we're familiar with
1: Oh, for sure. Well, there's just something that the toxic environment, if you find yourself stuck in a toxic environment, then you're way, you're, you're far more likely to feel anxious about interactions with other people. You're likely to want to withdraw into yourself or conversely, like the study shows, become rude yourself and kind of portray that brash personality and just sort of keep the cycle going. And I can see where it would make it difficult for you to want to work with people or for people to want to work with you. Once you've established your own reputation as being rude, people may not want to work with you anymore. And that can make it difficult for you to accomplish your job.
0: Yeah, I I think that that's really the piece of this is that these toxic environments prevent us from... You know, reaching our potential and whatever we happen to be doing—whether it's a job or whether it's personal relationships—but you know, a toxic environment is something that we've got to figure out how to avoid completely.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about um, uh, what to do when you meet new people, uh, whether it's for you know your personal social life or whether it's in business. I think. I think one of the one of the key things um, about uh, the key things about making building relationships is is this first instance when you when you meet new people. On, on the one hand, there's a preparation, so you got to prepare. If you know that you're going into a situation where you're going to be need, meeting new people, Uh, it's a great idea to learn what you can, what you can find out about the situation, not just the people, but the situation itself. And, uh, so you aren't hit with any strange, um, surprises, uh, in a situation where you might be a little uncomfortable at first. Um, so that's one piece of thing. One piece of this. There's uh, preparation, and then there's uh, present. So you present yourself in such a way that you're you're confident. You know what you're going to say. You you have a high ability in, in communication, and that that kind of takes practice.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and this is really hitting home for me right now, since I've moved and I'm trying to be more involved in my community. I've been going to networking like local networking events, and it's really hard for me. I'm on the introverted end of the scale. And so it is kind of difficult for me to get out there and project that confidence and go up to people and actually meet them and feel like I have something worthwhile to contribute. And I have been actually practicing this at networking networking events. In the last uh, two or three months, I've been to, I think, three different networking type events. And each time as I've gone and I've Thought about what I want to say, how do I want to present myself? What will I say when somebody asks me what What do you do?" As I've thought about this and been able to practice going to these networking events, it started getting easier. But you have to just go and do it, and I think that's part of the issue and one of the things that many of us are inclined to shy away from.
0: We we have the three Ps. Uh, we've got prepare, present, and practice. I think I think that works out really nicely. Yes. Practicing is so important and, you know, I think it's possible to manufacture these situations where we meet new people and just get into the habit of knowing what to say in certain situations in order to get your point across. Along with the preparation, you should know what type of situation, you know, you're going into. So if it's a a business function, have an idea of know, the way you're supposed to talk, the way you're supposed to dress. And really, you know, we're all individuals. It's true. And we all want to express our individuality. I think that's so important. The, The key to socialization is knowing how to fit in in certain circumstances, especially when those circumstances are going to be important to you down the road, whether it's your business or your personal life. So, yes, I mean, let's all let's all still, you know, maintain our identities, but still have a good awareness of of what each situation uh, is going to be.
1: That's a good point. So now that we've met people and we're getting to know people, whether it's at work or a networking event or even just as friends, how do you maintain those relationships? How are we going to keep moving forward?
0: The biggest thing, I think, and the most important aspect or personality trait that you can have that's going to allow you to maintain good relationships with people is is empathy, and uh, it's it's not exactly an easy skill or, or personality trait to come to, to, to come upon. Uh, it doesn't natu- it doesn't just come naturally to a lot of people. But it's so important in just being able to give you the ability to uh, understand from someone else's point of view what they may be thinking in any situation. You know, one thing that I try to do can't say that I always succeed, of course, but you know before. I say something to somebody. Again, I've made many mistake in this in the past. You know, I try to think about the way someone might react to what I'm saying before saying it. You know, I, I, saw, I saw something recently that said, uh, you know, before you say something, think. And the word think was an acrostic. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So these are all things that you want to think about, you know, just to understand the other person that you're talking to. Uh, You do want to put yourself in their shoes just a little bit, just to uh, imagine what they could be going through in their lives before you interact with them.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. We've talked about a little bit Uh, recently. I read an article on the Jerusalem Post, and it was just a very interesting article about how— this lack of empathy is something that's really starting to come in society as we become more self-absorbed.
0: It's probably a little more difficult to have empathy for you know someone in a situation that is so far removed as Syria is. I mean, we have no idea what it's like to be refugees here. And, uh, you know, this, this, this is, you know, this isn't, the same, say, as someone trying to understand what someone is going through when they're going through like a a breakup in their relationship or something. I mean, this is a whole world of different. Um, This is something that for you and I would be incredibly different to comprehend. Uh, We can try whether we can fully, ever fully reach empathy with someone whose life condition is... So far removed from our reality, I think that's that, that's that's kind of a tall order. But also, you know, I think in in interpersonal relationships, we're we're all a lot closer to each other in terms of life experiences. Perhaps we haven't gone through the loss of a parent. Uh, perhaps we haven't gone through poverty. It's it is difficult to understand and to 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 know what the feelings that go along with that are. But it's at least somewhat closer to. Our our world of experiences than you know what it's like to be a refugee coming out of a, a war torn country.
1: Right, but I I do think that there's some merit though, in just as you would go into practice, as you're meeting other people, practicing. Well, what would I do in this circumstance? What would I be? What would I be willing to do for my family or for somebody else? A lot of the time, we don't stop and think about what if it was my kid that was stuck there. I I don't know. I just yeah. I think I think the idea of practice what you were talking about before really does matter and even if it's something that's really removed from you, you can still go through that thought experiment and at least attempt to think what would I do?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's a great experiment. I think you know it's it's helpful for all of us to kind of. uh, I think the biggest benefit really is broadening our minds and you know accepting the possibility that there are people throughout this world who live in conditions so far removed than what we're used to. We we may not you know we don't go through our lives thinking about that all the time. It's good to think about it once in a while, perhaps to remind us that there's you know. Uh, out of all the problems that we have, they're perhaps a little smaller than, than, you know, they, than they really are. And perhaps we can let go of some of the hangups that we have with, with our day to day lives.
1: So one of the things that I found interesting that you found was something from the Harvard business review. And that was really interesting because we talked about, Oh, well it's so hard to empathize with people from like Syria But this, why don't you tell us about the study you found that indicates that maybe it's probably harder to empathize with somebody who you've been in their shoes. Maybe it's hard to empathize with them than somebody who you have a completely different experience from.
0: Well, so this, this was a really interesting study that I found. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's not intuitive until you really look into the, details of it. The study shows that it is harder to empathize with people if you have been in that situation yourself. Um, It's harder to empathize with someone who is in poverty if you yourself came out of poverty at one point and overcame those obstacles. Um, While someone might have empathy for someone living in a situation that, that is beyond their control, someone who actually found Whatever it was, whatever advantage that they were able to do, or whatever steps they took to get themselves out of a difficult situation, there's there's this impression that that should be possible for anybody. If I was able to do it, so the empathy that you would think that someone would feel for someone who is going through the same you know, same difficulties that that they did, it's it's actually. Uh, it's actually the opposite. It's actually the, the truth is that people will show less empathy for someone who is struggling with some of the st- same same issues that the first person was suffering from. There's there's two reasons that this happens, uh, according to the study. Again, and that is because it's easy to forget exactly what it was like in those in that situation. You know, after time, memories change, they adapt, and it's easy to not really understand exactly how difficult it was for you in that particular situation. And the second issue is just like I said, you know that you got through and survived and perhaps thrived and you don't understand why that isn't possible for everybody in that situation. And I know I've encountered this type of bias in people that I talk to, uh, you know, coworkers and uh, co- in colleagues in the financial writing world. I see this all the time um, and usually it takes the form of preaching attitude towards, you know, people who are in less – fortunate circumstances.
1: Right. Yeah. This whole idea of, hey, I did it. So why can't you? But overcoming that requires remembering, well, we all have uh, different skills. We all have different strengths. And sometimes, yeah, just because I overcame something with my specific skill set doesn't mean that somebody else can overcome it in exactly the same way. So
0: beyond empathy, I think, uh, you know, empathy is just one piece of or one trait that will help you deal with people in your life, I think it's one of many. I like vulnerability as well. Uh, You found an interesting study about apologizing.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. It was from Psychology Today, and they talked about some reasons that some people never apologize, and apologizing is one of the ultimate things in vulnerability, because it really does... Open up yourself to to other people, and it shows them that you you know you do have these flaws. And I know in my own life, growing up in my community, uh, growing up as a girl, growing up as the oldest, there were there was a lot of pressure on me to kind of be perfect and to avoid a lot of mistakes. And so it was hard for me to apologize and it took years for me to learn to admit my mistakes rather than try and cover them up all the time. Part of this goes back to this article from Psychology Today. It has five main reasons why people have a hard time apologizing, especially people who never apologize. And here's some of the reasons why. Uh, One of them is they mix up their actions with character. So they say, oh, well, I've made a mistake. That's a character flaw. They don't see it as just a mistake, but they see it as something wrong with who they are and they see it as a failure. Feeling. and then the next one is a feeling of shame uh, which goes beyond just feeling guilt and feeling bad about something and getting over it and moving on then they worry that apologizing not only shows their weakness but it will open them up to further criticism and this was one of my issues as well I was like well if I admit this one wrong thing what else are they going to find wrong find out that's wrong with me I mean, there, there are a lot of things wrong with me but <laughs> do we really do we really want everybody to know what they are? The fourth thing was this fear of assuming full responsibility. So they're afraid, well, if I apologize first, and this is especially true when you're in relationships, like a romantic partnership relationship with somebody, you're worried that, well, if I apologize first, does that mean I'm assuming all responsibility and absolving them of any responsibility for this situation? I mean, nobody wants, in most of these relationship issues, there's, both of you probably have a share of the fault. Mm. But you're worried that if you apologize first, you're the one who's accepting all the responsibility and basically telling the other person, hey, it's not your fault. It's totally my fault. And so that makes it hard to want to apologize because you do want to share that blame and you're worried. And then finally, number five is just the emotional discomfort that comes with that vulnerability. And it is hard to be vulnerable and it is hard to be out there and let people see who you are. I, I'm just barely starting right now as a person to be more honest uh, out there and, and kind of put myself out there more because it is hard for me to be vulnerable.
0: So let's talk about some things that we can do to overcome all these ups about, about allowing ourselves, about opening ourselves up to vulnerability. For a long time, I have had very little fear in putting myself out there. I never had a problem getting up on stage and acting when I was younger. Um, and, you know, acting, you know, people say that acting is, you know, you're putting on. Face, but you actually—it's—it's—it's—it's very vulnerable. Um, You are putting yourself on stage and opening yourself up to quite a bit of criticism. On the one hand, I've always been kind of fearless at this, but at the other hand, too, I mean, there's still some insecurity that I'm always trying to overcome. You know, I, I guess it's always a question of you know, maybe for me, overcoming some of the the barriers to vulnerability is just about kind of remembering what it's like to just act and maybe if i if i act a little bit um, and you know act with a capital a i can <laughs> and i don't mean that to to i don't say that to mean that i'm putting on, on a performance i'm not being myself the the performance that i'm doing is actually myself i'm just doing it as a performance and i think that allows me at least personally to um, not worry about How people are going to react so much, and what people are going to think, and what happens when I open my mouth. In terms of responsibility, I think humility is a big piece of this, and I just always, I you know, it's always an effort, but I always try to remind myself to to be you know humble to other people, and I don't mean humble in any other sort of way right now, other than just recognizing that the main force is to that happen in my life uh you know it's a combination of things that I do and it's a combination of my surroundings I just keep that in mind
1: one of the things that you mentioned that I think thought was interesting in the past was this trust in others and I think that's probably one of my biggest hangups and people who know me really well uh, I had one friend who once told me he's like you're the realest person I know and I'm like <laughs> as long because I trust you and, and we're in this situation together where I feel comfortable and safe and I think a lot of the time it's not just trusting others to be decent people but it's trusting that they will like you like trusting yourself enough that you feel like you can be liked I don't know does that make sense yeah that does <laughs> make some sense that's one yeah. of the hard things and that's one of the hardest things about growing up and finding yourself and figuring out who you are is saying well this is who i am and you know it, it goes back to that whole jack handy bit right um, <laughs> i'm good i'm beautiful i'm good good enough i'm whatever it is and gosh darn it people like me yeah. and i think trusting that is one of the hardest things and something that you have to keep working on especially when you feel like you've been rejected in the past and uh, that, that makes it even harder to trust people. Right. But it is part of life, and you do have to keep moving forward.
0: Rejection, it could be one of the most damaging things to you if you're not ready for it. You can never control other people. Um, you don't know it's- what they're going to think. You don't know what they're going to like and dislike. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know how they're going to react. So even like I was like we were talking about, preparing earlier for meeting new people you know in terms of empathy and understanding how people are going to react i i don't think that there's a way to know for sure at all um but when it comes to trust i see it more as if you know just just by placing your trust in others whether it is you know for them to like you or for them to appreciate what you're doing or to agree with you, but more so, you know, when it comes into the workplace for for doing work that they're supposed to be doing, um, when people see that you put trust in them, they feel better about themselves. They say, "Well, well, I must be worthy of this trust, so I'm doing something right." And this this is such a key piece of building relationships because it really it goes back and forth, and you know, just like you know, we we saw the study that showed how. Uh, rudeness goes from one person to another. The same thing happens, uh, you know, I don't know if there's been a study to show this, but uh, you know, maybe I'm guessing here, but it seems to me that trust will work the same way. As you trust people, they will trust you back, they will trust other people, and you'll build a culture of trust, um, whether it's within your workplace or your friendships or any kind of environment.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a certain degree of sense. I, I think the way we treat people and the way we interact with people really does set the tone, especially in the workplace or in your home, in relationships that you have, just anytime you're dealing with other people, whether you're going over to your parents' house for dinner once a week, or whether you're going to work every day, that just the way you treat people and that trust and that respect really does set the tone and really can set the environment for a good relationship.
0: So you brought up respect. And that's really interesting, because, you know, my question is is always, you know, there's always this question. And I've seen this so many times in in jobs where I've, you know, I've I've had many jobs, how do you work with people you don't respect? I mean, let's say there's someone who's on your team, who's, you know, who, in your opinion, clearly doesn't belong there, doesn't either have the skills or, the capabilities, or the talent, or whatever it happens to be for that particular position, you know, perhaps other people are putting trust in this individual, and you fail to see how that's appropriate. And you know, for for whatever reason, and maybe it's a personal reason, maybe you don't agree with some of their life choices for some reason, or you disagree with their you know with their philosophy, and that leads you to not respecting this person. How how do you work with someone you don't respect?
1: Well, in the end, the best you can do is just be polite and, <laughs> and, and avoid gossiping about them with your other coworkers mm. and try to avoid creating a situation where it excludes them. It's, it's hard because a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of the time, I'm, I'm fortunate in that for most of my adult working life, I've been a freelancer, and I've been here behind my computer screen. And if I don't respect somebody, I can just be like, "I'm not working with you." I can send them an email. I don't even have to look them in the face. I could send them an email and just be like, "Hey, this work arrangement isn't working out." And I don't even have to be rude about that either. I can just be like, "I'm sorry, this isn't working out," <laughs> and and then it's done, right. and I don't have to worry about it. But there are situations where you might not approve of what somebody's done, or you. And really, honestly, the best you can do in these situations is be polite, I think personally, is be polite, uh, give them jobs that you know that they can at least accomplish. <laughs> if you're in a position to give them those those tasks, give them tasks that you know that they can accomplish and then just refrain from complaining about them to your other coworkers.
0: Yeah, you know, when you say complaining, I think that's where a lot of people end up, and you know, uh, this is probably a topic for a future, future episode. But I think we see a lot of lack of respect um, for for colleagues and coworkers played out on social media all the time. Um, and it's all, you know, it's an offhanded comment, or if it, or it's something passive aggressive, where someone's saying something without really saying it, but you know what's really being said because you're not stupid.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that's just part of the whole thing it's our culture now is so public and it's everything we do is under scrutiny now even if it's even if it's not scrutiny by like the country at large even if it's just scrutiny by the people down the block or the people in the office people are looking at it and so you do you need to be careful and not always complain about it out there yeah
0: i think we run into the danger of people seeing This behavior and attributing it to you know who we are, but we we it's it it would be good to get away from this and part of having adult relationships with coworkers or with with socially uh, is is being able to handle people who you may not respect. Um, If you can't find anything within them to respect, if you absolutely cannot respect anything about this person, you still have to be nice to them. You still have to exist on the same planet, and you still have to, you know, this this coexistence thing is so important. We have to learn how to get along with other people.
1: That's right. And and one thing I do as well, and I'm not naturally a very patient or nurturing person, but which is another, well, that's something for another day, but I'm not naturally a patient or nurturing person. So one thing that I have to do is take a step back and say, okay, what are things that people could complain about me about? They may be different things, um, but there's still things that I'm sure lots of people dislike about me and probably wish that they could complain about me, (laughs) maybe even put it on social media. And remembering that reminds me to kind of have a little more patience and to take that time to be a little bit better with how I handle my interactions with people. Another thing I do is sometimes before I write an email, since most of my interactions with people are through email, sometimes before I write an email to somebody that I cannot stand is I will take the email And I will send it to my good friend Tom Drake and have him look it over (laughs) because he's Canadian and he's polite naturally (laughs) and so I will have him look it over and a lot of the time he'll be like no Miranda you cannot send this here's a better way to say it (laughs) and so just having those trusted relationships or just taking that step back and saying wait a minute does this really make sense before you hit send before you post anything on Facebook and a lot of the time even before you answer somebody's communication to you in person you don't have to always be right back with a whippy snappy reply you can take 30 seconds to stop and think about what you're going to say
0: yeah we are really getting to the point where people expect uh immediate communication and uh, that's you know maybe it's because you and i are part of an older generation at this point but you know communication does not need to be immediate you do not absolutely do not need to respond to
1: every text message that you get within 30 seconds i know and it's really important that you that's to me this is the beauty of texting is i don't have to ignore your phone call i don't have to pick up the phone and talk to you i can <laughs> the text can sit there till i'm ready to actually interact with you in a meaningful and reasonable way
0: Right, but even email, you know, I think I think every time that I have been worked up about something and it's at night and I've sent my response, it has been a mistake. Um the times that I've waited until the next morning and responded then, um it has not been a mistake. I have, you know, said better things when I waited and maintained the relationships that I needed to maintain better. Um, so, you know, especially, you know, you're, you, you don't think straight at night sometimes. It's important to remember that when you're, when you're handling your communication, there was, there was one episode of uh, this TV show, um, how I met your mother. And it was, it's an old episode. It's from probably the first, first season. Um, you know, nothing good happens after 3 a.m. And it's (laughs) it's so true. I mean, you know, if it's 3 a.m., just go to sleep, do not attempt to communicate with people. do not attempt to you know move forward with personal relationships or anything like that. Um, you know I think uh, I think that's a good uh, good advice. Um, you know things have worked out a lot better when you just wait you, you wait till the next day, give it twenty four hours, give it overnight, give it something uh, to uh, to just you know help you along in and communicate more effectively
1: yes, definitely.
0: Yeah, so communication, I think that's a huge topic and we've probably only scratched the surface of that. Um
1: <laughs> I have a whole I have a degree in communication. Communication oh. is an entire four year course of study. There's no way we can get through it all on this show.
0: Well, you should be an expert at communicating then.
1: I should, and I'm not, right? <laughs> I have a degree in it. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I don't know. I
0: don't know if there were any classes on uh, on how to communicate with your, you know, your, your life partners and things like that. It's part (laughs) of your communication degree anyway. But yeah, I think, I think listening is probably the biggest, the absolute biggest piece of communication. It's, it's more, communication is more than just getting the words that are in your head out, right? It's, it's having, it's having a discussion, it's waiting, it's, it's listening, it's, it's, it's listening and then processing and then responding. It's not, you know waiting for waiting waiting for the first break in the the first half a second silence to start getting your words in
1: right and i think part of that processing is really trying to understand right a, a lot of the time we're responding to what we think somebody said rather than responding to what they actually said and taking that time to process and understand is a really important part of Uh, taking care of a relationship and sometimes just not saying anything at all. Uh, I spent four months not saying anything at all. And actually I'm still in the process of not saying anything at all. A lot of the time when my ex says something to me, I just not say anything at all. I just Mm. listen. Because sometimes that's what you need to do to maintain whatever relationship, whatever the relationship is and whatever you want it to be as far as a working relationship goes. Sometimes just saying, just listening and not actually even saying anything beyond the, uh uh-huh. Okay. The the markers that say, yes, I'm listening to what you have to say.
0: Yeah. So those markers, uh, one thing that you can do is you can, you know, continue to nod your head while you're processing and, and, and I think one of the things that seems to work really well is even repeating back what someone is saying, but repeating it back in your own words. So you're you're showing them as as the discussion is going, that you're interpreting what they're saying and internalizing it and understanding it, I think that's uh, that's a good key to effective communication. Of course, it's something that you don't want to do all the time, or else it'll just get annoying. But when right. <laughs> when someone is like raising an issue with you or something, you know, just just showing them that you're listening and you're understanding can go a long way in in smoothing things over for sure. And what about humor? I think humor is a big piece of communication as well. I think you know, it's good to. <laughs> put a little bit of yourself into what you're doing and show that you know i always say it's great to take what you do seriously and you know projects that you're working on your your values your your life your job your career uh your relationships but don't take yourself too seriously so you know i by having by keeping that in mind you're you're able to have a little levity in your relationships and that's really important too even even for the more serious ones
1: Oh, for sure, yes. Humor, humor is big, and it helps. I mean, sometimes though, I mean, you do have to be aware of when some humor is appropriate and when it's not, <laughs> because that's the other problem that you can run into. Um, it, it reminds me of the scene in Age of Ultron where they're all standing around and very upset about the fact that obviously Ultron is. Going off and ready to destroy the world and Tony Spoiler, Stark I haven't seen it. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> spoilers. Spoiler alert It's yeah. been out. It's on video now. Oh, okay. <clears throat> there, it, there. There's no reason why anybody who's listening, if you haven't seen it yet, it's because you don't care, and so spoilers don't matter. Pretty much. Anyway. <laughs> But no so but there's this scene where they're standing there and it's a very serious situation they're trying to figure out what to do and the situation really isn't supposed to be funny but Tony Stark is laughing because he thinks it's kind of funny but it, so so I think knowing when that humor is appropriate yeah. and also yeah it's great let's tell a joke in the workplace but let's not tell a really filthy dirty joke oh, in the sure. workplace Oh sure yeah you have to be I think so so part of so part of growing up and becoming an adult is learning those boundaries and saying what kind of when is humor appropriate and what kind of humor is appropriate
0: yeah and i think that goes back to the situational awareness that we were talking about at the very beginning um you know just being aware of the norms and you know knowing that you know you have to kind of fit into a certain role in order to have effective relationships. Uh, you know, there, there's always room for individualism, uh, within that, but you know, you, you, you do have to understand what people expect of you in certain situations and they might not expect dirty jokes in certain situations. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's so right. that's, that's not exactly, you know, that's not the kind of humor that I particularly mean. It's, it's humor within the confines of whatever situation you're in. You know something came up uh recently with with uh, someone that I uh, know outside of my professional life and people can get hurt by things that happen um by situations that are unfavorable say losing a job or or uh, not getting a promotion or or just not succeeding in very one specific thing that they were looking for. And the normal reaction is, oh, well, it's just business, so, you know, get over it. I think there is this it's-just-business kind of approach to certain things, and but the truth of the matter is there's nothing that is just business. You can't just compartmentalize your life and not let things that happen, um, you know, inside... Your business life—it's—it's going to affect you personally. It's going to affect your emotions. you can't separate it. There's no reason for you to try to separate it. Um, so if someone tries to shut down the emotions that you're feeling by saying uh, it's just business, you know that's you're going to have to ignore them because you can't—you can't shut it down. You can't just stop feeling something. So, you know, I think you know where you go from there, though, is you figure out what the best way to react is and sometimes it's walking away you know sometimes you have to walk away sometimes you have to understand that you know this was a des- decision what was that was made and yes it hurts me personally but i still have to walk away and i have to put myself in a situation where i can you know either change my approach to fit into the situation or i can just try again some other time
1: So one of the things that we like to do is take listener questions. And we, one of the listener questions that we got was, how do you know if someone else is being sincere? And this is a very good question because Mm -hmm. this is something that we run into all the time in the workplace. People are always saying things they don't mean or trying to get you to do something. And so how do you know if someone else is being sincere?
0: Yeah, well, I think the clues that we normally get are a little harder to come by because of how easy communication is electronically these days. But the the, the whole detect- sincerity detection system that we have in our brains, I think, uses... Body language, tone, and and other behavior that you know that we have seen from that particular person. If the body language is agreeable, and if the tone is something that we would expect for sincerity, you, you can usually tell sincere tone versus insincere tone. Um, but we lose all of that in electronic communication. Um, and you know, this this happened to me earlier <laughs> earlier today. I was. Um, Having a discussion with with some people that I work with, and you know, someone was like, "You're doing a very good job, Harlan," and this was basically uh, a social media chat message. Um, so, I have to assume that this was a sincere comment and not a sarcastic comment. I hope that this person believes that I'm doing <laughs> I a hope good job. So. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, this, this is, it's, it's certainly a lot harder to detect sincerity if you're reading an email or reading a text message or an instant message or, or something, you know, even, even over the phone where at least you can hear the tone of the person, it's still very difficult without putting all the communication pieces together. Um, so it's definitely a challenge, and that's why I try really hard to encourage face-to-face communication for everything that's important.
1: That's a really good point because a lot of the time we find that we are missing context. And it's kind of interesting to to note that that sincerity really matters, being able to look somebody in the eye and see whether they appear sincere. And part of the problem that you're going to run into in trying to decide if somebody is sincere is being sincere, even if you're seeing them in person is figuring out how to interpret their behavior. Because sometimes sometimes we don't always interpret it correctly. Oh yeah, and
0: not only that, but uh, with body language, because people are growing up now in this environment where they don't do a lot of face-to-face communication, at least compared to the amount of communication they do online, I think people aren't really learning body language, uh, how to express themselves as much, um, And add to that, of course, you know, on the autism spectrum and people may not be able to express their thoughts correctly through or not correctly, but as as easily interpretable um, as as they may be used to as as other people may be used to.
1: Yeah. And I think that's another really good point is that we are losing some of those social skills that that go uh, go to go toward helping us read those cues more accurately. We're just not having those interactions anymore. So some of the things that you can do, um, I guess, to see if somebody's sincere as it, just some of the basic things you can do is, are they, are they making up a lot of excuses for something. So do they feel like they have to give you a really long explanation for something rather than just giving you a straight on explanation? Mm -hmm. Because they might be insincere if they, they're, you know, the more words they have to use to get the same thing across, the more, the more they may be trying, trying to hide their true intentions. Uh, Another thing is, you know, avoidance right? (laughs) Trying Mm -hmm. to stay away from the question, trying to stay away from it, trying to avoid answering directly. Um, And in a way that's sort of sincere because now you know that they don't want to actually answer the question. Maybe they don't want to hurt your feelings, but that is one thing that can let you know that maybe they're not really on board with what you're saying. And then, and then of course, just just thinks uh, it is hard to tell, like you said, from body language, depending on you really need to know somebody because sometimes, like you said, those on the autism spectrum or someone who, you know, tends to fiddle with things, who are nervous, who have social anxiety issues mm, right. may come across as insincere, even though they're not just because of the issues that they're dealing with.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot to take, in account, take into account when you think about, you know, what, what how to detect if somebody is sincere or not? And I think a lot of times you have a gut feeling about it, and there's there's something to be said for trusting that gut feeling that you get about somebody. Um, you know, the sleazy salesperson. <laughs> you know, it's a personality yeah. type, but you know, for for good reason. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not talking about people who are actually employed as salespeople and happen to be sleazy. I'm talking about you know people who kind of embody that. Uh, personality throughout their life and what they do. Uh, you know you got to kind of watch out for that For sure. So I think now um, why don't we why don't we move on to maybe some specific things that uh, people can you know listeners can do you know to maybe move forward on this a little bit and uh, uh, maybe improve uh, their communication and how to deal with people.
1: Right. So some of the, I think the best action items to take away from this is you get ready to go out and make better relationships. Uh, first of all, practice apologizing. <laughs> Find someone, <laughs> apologize to somebody you have hurt authentically and sincerely and recognize that you have hurt them. A lot of the time, part of the reason we don't apologize is because we don't think that they should have been hurt. But recognize that. So that kind of, goes into that empathy, try and have that empathy, recognize that you hurt them, and then go ahead and apologize. I think that's a very good step, first step to take that'll help you learn vulnerability as well as connection with somebody else.
0: Sure, and communication because you're going to want to do this sincerely and you're going to have to communicate in a way that they believe is sincere. It's not just about detecting who is being sincere with you, but also learning how to communicate. I mean, let's let's assume you're sincere in the first place. Now you have to communicate that you're sincere. Um, and if you're not sincere, well, that's a whole other thing completely. Um, <laughs> but just be sincere about it.
1: Right. And then I think one other thing you can do is actually go out and ask somebody who has different life experiences from you. Find one person in your life to describe a troubling or difficult experience and how it affected them. And this can be your parent, it can be your child, it can be just a friend that you know, or it can be somebody you don't know at all. But go find somebody and ask them about an experience that they had and try and understand them a little bit better.
0: Yeah, so these these two things that we're talking about here, I would say, don't do this, you know, online. Don't you know, read an article and believe that you've done the research in, on someone's life that's very different than yours. Don't send an email to apologize. Actually, go and talk to people. I think it's 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 good practice for for you know having effective conversations and you know which lead to better relationships all over. All right. So thank you for joining us today for our first episode of Adulting. If you go to adulting.tv, you'll see a list of resources and, uh, you know, a transcript of part of this episode. So please do check it out and do subscribe. We'll have links for you to do that to make it easy. And certainly if you have any questions for any of the topics coming up or if you have any suggestions for topics, let us know. Be happy to hear from you. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.